Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. This morning, we're going to be turning into Exodus to continue talking about the commandments. And uh, I have a couple of gents who will walk in and hand you a Bible. If you need a Bible this morning, you want to follow in that way, just raise your hand and they'll pass you one. It's our gift to you. You can keep it, um, put your name in it, reuse it, whatever. Uh, that would be fantastic. Um, but let's go ahead and walk into it. So when you think about the Ten Commandments, um, what normally comes to mind? You kind of start with an image of maybe Charleston Heston, long beard, flowing robes, you know, two stone tablets with Roman numerals on them, right? By the way, it wouldn't have been Roman numerals. They were Hebrews, so it would have had something different on it. And yet, that seems to be how it it always is depicted, is using Roman numerals. But um, the commandments are something a little different than just that that static version that we see. Um, The commandments are really the oldest list of ethical behavior that is still referred to today. Um, It's the foundation for Western law. If you go to Washington, D.C. and do a tour, like of the Supreme Court building, you'll actually find three different places in the Supreme Court building that the Ten Commandments are referenced. If you go through the main Capitol building, it's throughout there. You'll see all sorts of things in the artwork and everything. So it's, even though there's this whole separation of church and state, the truth is it's embedded, at least in some of our subconscious of how we deal with laws. Um, The Ten Commandments is really about showing who God is, things that he values, ways that he would like us to interact with him. And it's really a list of things that show us who we can be, a people set apart pursuing a relationship with God. Now, the Ten Commandments is also not just a checklist. It's not something you go down and, yep, I'm not doing that, I'm doing this, it's all good. Uh, as a way of earning salvation, as a way of earning favor with God. That's not the point of it. The list is something that should transform our hearts. It should speak into who we are and how we behave. It's kind of a a central ethics. And although the Ten Commandments are in the Old Testament, it is throughout the New Testament as well. And it's still a relevant and essential thing for us as Christians today to think about and go through. You see, the list is really a heart posture. And Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments this way. He said, we're supposed to love God and love others. And that summarizes the whole thing. You see, the first four of the Ten Commandments are all about our relationship with God. We've covered those the last couple of weeks. Uh, There's only one God. We're not to have idols because we should worship Him instead. Um, We need to honor God with our words and with how we treat His name and who He is. And then the last one is, from time to time, each week, we need to spend time resting in our relationship with him. And that's the first four commandments. The next six commandments are about our relationships with other people. And so that's where we're going to dive in today. We're going to be in the fifth commandment. And all ten commandments are, again, what God values. The fifth commandment is like this, um, Exodus 20, 12. It says, honor your father and mother. And then you will have a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. 
Fifth commandment, honor mom and dad. Like all of the other commandments, this is echoed a number of places throughout Scripture. Um, All of the commandments are echoed not only in Exodus, but then also in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5, you'll find the list again. And by the way, Deuteronomy means second telling. So it's basically the second time that God is going through the law and having Moses kind of present it. Um, But you'll find it in a lot of different places. For instance, the book of Proverbs in particular has a lot to do with this one, this commandment. And this is one of the wordings I really like. Proverbs 30, 17. The eye that mocks a father and despises a mother's instructions will be plucked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. Yeah! If you're a parent, you might want to write this one down. There might be a time that it might come out, right? Obviously, this is kind of the negative representation of what happens if you don't honor mom and dad. But there's a lot of positive ones in Proverbs as well. In Mark 7, Jesus talked about it in the New Testament. Uh, He was getting on the Pharisees and basically telling them, you have all of these rules about how to tithe to God and honor God, and some of them supersede what you should be doing for your parents and caring for your aging parents. And therefore, you're breaking all of the commandments. Gets back to that whole loving God and loving others. It's not an or there, it's an and. Now, talking about this fifth commandment, honoring your father and mother, I think it's important for us to define honor a little bit. And this is the definition I use in ministry. Honor is letting someone you know see how valuable they really are. And it's letting someone you know see how valuable they really are. It's acknowledging that they're valuable in your life and the life of others. Now, honor is more than just a card and a lunch one day a week on Mother's Day or one day a year on Mother's Day or Father's Day. Honor should be an ongoing characteristic in your life and your relationship with your parents. If we think about the first four commandments, that relationship with God, they are all about worshiping God and honoring Him. And so it kind of makes sense that the fifth commandment just rolls out of that, honoring your father and your mother, letting them know that you see that they are valuable. Now, our parents are a very unique relationship, aren't they? Other than maybe our siblings, they're the only relationship we don't get to choose. Our mom and dad are our mom and dad, and they are for the rest of our life. Because of that, I think that's why God specifically calls them out here first. It's the only specific relationship other than relationship with him that he calls out in the commandments because it's such an important part of our heart posture. We have to have a heart posture that is willing to honor our mother and the father. And if we don't, it turns out that not doing that impacts our relationship with God. Jesus put it this way in in Matthew 5. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you or maybe you have something in anger against someone else, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. If you are unable to honor mom and dad or don't do it, it will impact you being able to honor God. And likewise, if you're not in a place where you can honor God regularly, it's pretty difficult to honor mom and dad and anyone else. You see, we have to have those first four, those foundations of our relationship with God in order to move forward because otherwise, how are we going to deal with people just like us, people that are flawed and difficult 
easy to anger, selfish, I could go down the list, basically sinful folks. We have to be able to have a relationship with God first, and from that, we will be able to extend grace, and love, and patience, and to our folks, honor. So what does honoring your parents really look like? I, th- I think it changes a little bit based on what phase of life you're in, right? If you're a kid, honoring your mom and dad starts with just obeying, doing what they're asking, and then also finding ways to bless them, to help them beyond what they've asked. So kids this week, if you want to honor mom and dad, find a way to help them out. Knock them out with doing something special that they don't expect. As a teen, maybe appreciating your parents. I know technology has changed a lot, but the reality is there's so much about being a teenager that just doesn't change. Raging hormones, dealing with all sorts of interesting relationships and conflicts, feeling like you need more responsibility but you don't have the experience yet. All of those different things as teens are still the same that your parents went through. And I know pop culture wants you to believe that parents are are clueless, they're all idiots, but the truth is they're not. They've been through it. And so sometimes just appreciating them is a great way to honor them. As young adults, as you start doing the whole adulting thing, seek counsel from your parents. That's a great way to honor them. You see, by, by doing that, again, you're showing them that you want them in your life, maybe as a coach. And granted, you don't always have to follow that advice, but at least they may have an idea of how to approach some things that you are doing for the first time. And as we age a little bit and we become adults, and particularly if we have kids, you will gain new perspective on your parents. You'll start to realize how much of a jerk you were when you were younger, how maybe some of the choices you made when you thought you had it all figured out. And you'll kind of see that, yes, your parents actually did extend some grace and patience with you. So it changes your perspective and let them know that. And then finally, as your parents age, being able to provide them dignity, even though their independence because of health things, whatever it may be, may be fading a little bit, finding ways that they can still have dignity honors them. Now, this is a pretty simple list, and um, I know for a lot of people, they're like, well, that's good. If you have great parents, it's pretty easy to do these things. My parents weren't so great. What happens if your parents aren't deserving of honor? I struggled some this week as I kind of worked through this and thought about this this tough question about what happens if you come from a, a house, a background that basically was a train wreck, that maybe there was some trauma, maybe there was some pretty evil things that happened in your life. How can you honor your parents? I know that as I talk to people about their spiritual walk, sometimes the biggest obstacle people face is overcoming the example that their parents gave. It's hard for them to trust in a God as their father who has unconditional love and grace for them when they didn't experience anything but anger from their own earthly parents. I know that's hard. If we remember that the Ten Commandments are a heart posture with God and reflect his character. I think this commandment has a piece of character that although it doesn't directly say it is so important. And that piece of character in God is forgiveness and reconciliation. Romans 12:8 says it, or 18 says it this way, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. 
Everyone includes your parents, even if you don't feel like they deserve the honor. What if you are coming from being adopted or you grew up in foster care? That's a pretty hard thing too. And just like somebody who's coming from a household that was full of trauma, you have experienced some as well. And so for somebody in any of those situations where your parents weren't that great or you don't know them or you were abandoned or whatever it may be, you have to come to a place through God's help to forgive them. You may not be able to go to them and tell them, I forgive you. That, that may not be possible. You may not know who your biological parents are or, or time or distance or something may prevent you from doing that. But between you and God, you need to change your heart posture towards them to be able to forgive them. And that's not going to be easy. But it's so important to be able to live out the rest of the commandments. And if you were like adopted, for instance, or a foster family, you also have the opportunity to have two sets of parents, perhaps. And maybe that second set of parents, you're honoring them is really about Thanksgiving that they chose to include you in their family. Now, I want to go back for a few moments as well, staying on this subject. There's this thing that people talk about called uh, generational sin. And a few weeks ago when we talked about the second commandment, there was a, an addition kind of in the second commandment that wasn't for it specifically, but for all the commandments that we skipped. And so in Exodus 20, verse 5, towards the end, it says, I laid the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. This generational sin is this concept that things that happen in one generation continue to echo later on. Um, It continues to repeat. There's a cycle there. There's actually a whole study now in genetics called epigenics. And epigenics is looking at these Markers in our DNA that when we go through trauma actually get changed and triggered. There's a chemical change that happens in our DNA. And some of epigenics right now is trying to see is, does that change actually get reflected in the next generations? Does it continue? And is that why there's these cycles of behavior? I don't know if that's really the cause or not. What I really see it as is just simply learned behavior. Truth is, hurt people hurt people. If you were abused physically, emotionally, verbally as a kid, when you get older and you get in stressful situations, sometimes you revert back to the behaviors that you saw modeled for you, and that continues. That, I think, is really the source of generational sin of just not knowing better. that It was modeled for us. Right after this verse, though, there's an alternative that I think is so critical. We see these echoes of the gospel everywhere in Scripture. And this one says, But I, God, lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You have the opportunity to change those generational sins, to change those learned behaviors by changing from a God-less tradition in your family to a God-filled tradition. You have the opportunity to embrace God fully, to grow like Him, to, to learn love and grace and completely overcome with His power, completely change the story and tradition of your family. I think that's the hidden thing in this honor your father and your mother. 
that when we do that, we get to change the story we've been on. If we look back at that commandment, honor your father and your mother, you see there's a second sentence. Then you will have a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It's the only commandment that has a direct promise right there with it. A promise of a full life. And I think God looks at a full life as one filled with love and grace. One filled with him. So how does this promise work? I think it's pretty simple. Perhaps the way you treat your parents, the way that you honor your parents or dishonor them, sets up how your kids are going to honor or dishonor you. You know, when you're on the phone with your mom and she's inviting you over for dinner or something like that, do you kind of roll your eyes and, you know, make some gestures and stuff and you get off the phone, oh man, we were going to do something, now we got to go do that. Your kids are listening. Or do you, with excitement, honor your parents and say, hey, mom wants to spend some time with us and we should do that. She needs to be honored. In our little bit of time here left, I just want to give you a couple applications, and they're pretty simple. This isn't a complicated thing at all. Simply, if, if you come from a family with good parents, honor them this week. If they're local, take them out to, to dinner. Talk with them. Spend some time with them. If, if you can't do that, call them on the phone and have a good conversation. It'll mean more this week doing it than just on Father's Day and Mother's Day because then it's expected. It's an obligation. Now you can choose to honor them. If you come from a background that your parents weren't so great, this week work on forgiveness. Ask for God's help to be able to forgive them of whatever happened. It's holding you back from your relationship with God and with others. So spend the time. Get some help. Pray to God. Find somebody you can talk through with it. Find a way to forgive them and move forward. And for most of us, it's, we probably have a mix, so you get the assignment of getting to do both, okay? Honor them and find a way to forgive them. And last, if you are a parent, start being a parent worth honoring. If you find that you're harsh with your words with your kids, you don't have patience, you're not able to give grace, chances are that's going to come back to you in the future. So, Become a parent that's worthy of honor. Love them. Encourage them. Spend time with your kids. And you're going to need God's help to do that. Go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you are the good, good Father. You love us unconditionally. Love us in ways that we don't deserve, that we can't fully understand. I know at times our, our heavenly Father, you, you outshine our earthly parents. Some of us are coming from backgrounds that are really rough. So start to change our heart. Allow us to be able to forgive our parents for things that happen. Now, a few parents start out wanting to have a kid just so they can mess them up. Sometimes it happens. So Lord, Allow us to see the things that are worth honoring. Allow the, us to see ways that our parents were valuable in our lives. And present opportunities for us to honor them this week. To give them just a glimpse of your perfect love. In your name, Jesus, amen.
I'm excited because we get to talk about uh, the sixth commandment today, and it's not, it's not a super difficult one. So let's, uh, let's jump right in. What do you say? Yeah? Yeah, sweet. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 tells us that the sixth commandment is you must not murder. So stop it. You don't do it, you're fine. Cool, okay. Oh, um, I guess uh, Mike has reminded me that I am no longer at the middle school camp, and you guys may require a little bit more information on that. <laughs> um, I actually am excited, because this commandment is not, there's not like some deep meaning uh, behind just the Hebrew original text of it. There's not some massive uh, you know, epiphany that I can draw out, but I do think that there's a lot that we can learn. Uh, in the original text, it's actually translated directly from Hebrew as, thou shall do no murder, uh, which is pretty clear uh, in the Hebrew text. It's not uh, even confusing there. So it's, it's a really cool commandment in that it says exactly what it means. But if we're really going to understand like what this commandment is getting at, we have to understand murder. And I realize that the sentence I just said made some of you lose a little bit of respect for me. Like, Hunter, we know what murder is. It's not that complicated. And it's true. It's, it's really not this big, deep subject. However, there's a lot about murder that we can understand about ourselves and what it says about what we think of God. For instance, murder is us assuming the role of God. It is us making a decision, taking on the authority, and us choosing to end somebody's life as if we are on equal footing with God. By the way, we're not. Uh, murder is suggesting that we understand what God does, that we've seen his plan and we've decided on somebody's fate. We've decided and looked at someone and said, they can no longer grow. They have reached the pinnacle of their ability in terms of relationship, in terms of spirituality, in terms of emotions, there's no reason for them to be on earth anymore. Like, we have the right to be the final judge. It's us literally trying to thwart God's plan for us as individuals and for us as a corporate entity that is humanity. God's purpose and development for everyone is embedded and planned in every person. That means that God has a plan for my life, just like he has a plan for your life, as he has a plan for everyone's life in general. When we murder, when we kill someone, it is saying that they no longer have use on this earth. Look, God has a plan, and in general, we can, we can sum that plan up as it means God is teaching us to love him. He's bringing everyone closer to him. And even if you want to simplify it to its most simple form, murder is wrong because we are destroying something that was handmade by God. We are taking advantage of something God created and saying, no, this doesn't have any value, which is wrong. And I think all of us sitting in this room know that because if we didn't, we wouldn't be sitting in this room, I don't imagine. 
The reason why the sixth commandment is important for us even today is because it really is in reference to something that is deep embedded in our hearts and our souls, and that is anger and hatred. Under the new covenant, and that is Jesus' life, in Matthew chapter 5, 21 and 22, Jesus actually says this, you have, heard it said our, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. It's pretty extreme. But let me cover what God, what Jesus is not saying before we get to the, what he was saying there. Jesus is not telling you that you can't joke around with a friend. He's not saying that you can't grab somebody's attention or call things as they are. What Jesus is trying to get a hold of is the anger and the rage and the passion that rises up when you really dislike someone. That poison of anger and hatred distorts our viewpoints and our thought processes. It's almost as if that person, if I were to mention a person's name, and you have this gut reaction, this like automatic discomfort, that you can't just help but say or suggest something is wrong with that individual. That's what that looks like. And... I'll be honest, I, I struggle with this. When there are people in my life that, that I have uh, hated, and I haven't done it for good reasons. Uh, there was an individual uh, who I worked with when I was about to graduate college. I was doing an internship, and he uh, worked alongside me. He was another intern, uh, a longer-standing intern, but uh, he wasn't doing it for a class. He was actually kind of training to take over part of the ministry. And uh, at the end of the, the summer, everybody had to write a review on me provided by the college. And, and this person wrote just a scathing review. And I was frustrated because he never brought any of the things that he said in this review to my attention. I was angry with him because all of these things were just me being annoying. And I was 20, so granted I was annoying. All right, I get that point, but but he never brought them up to me. And so when the college heard about this, they, the board actually called me as they were meeting and said, hey, Hunter, look, uh, all of your reviews, they look great. It looks like you did the best you could, and we're, we're ready to pass you. However, there is one person from this ministry who just did not like your performance whatsoever, and you need to call and you need to reconcile things with that person beforehand. And so I called this individual, and we had one of the worst phone calls I've ever had in my life, because the only purpose of calling for me was just to reconcile the relationship, but he took the opportunity to just tell me that I was not ready for ministry, that I was nowhere near, that I should probably be more of a bag boy than I should be in youth ministry. And I bit my tongue and, you know, apologized to him for the times that I was annoying, and hung up the phone, and I passed the class. But I held on to that grudge. I let the anger sit inside me. And it poisoned my viewpoint of that individual. I struggled 
to think of him at all without becoming angry. And, and here's the funny part. Later on, he actually did contact me. And he did say and apologize, you know, for what was going on. Because in his 24-year-old perspective, he was being annoying to me. He did take back what he said, and he, he wished he'd done it differently. But I didn't hear that. I heard just a guy admitting he was wrong and that I was right to hate him. His, his wife and my wife were actually close friends, and, and he ended up playing guitar for our wedding. And I found myself in the middle of this praise and worship that's going on in my wedding, just regretting that he was even there. And I'll, I'll be completely honest, as I was researching this commandment, I got really just convicted. And it's true that I, I've kind of let go of some of that, but man, when his name comes up, there are still times to where I have to like remind myself, okay, relax. You have to, this is not in your hands. It's gone. It's okay. I have to remind myself that, that Jesus is the one who takes that now, not me. So are there people in your life who you find yourself struggling with? Are there people in your life that have to, like you have to physically calm yourself when things are happening with? I also feel like this has to be said. Like we have to talk about this just a little bit. Um, there's a big difference between murder and killing. And I have to bring this up, and, and I, I realize that by, by opening this, this page, that there's a massive uh, door that is going to be opened, and uh, the floodgates could pour in, and I could, I could start more uh, frustration than confusion and all of that than I do answer questions. However, I can't answer and talk about this commandment without addressing this. See, there's a big difference between murder and killing. You see, murder is selfish, whereas killing is generally in the defense of something. Uh, let me explain. Murder is born from an anger and a hatred, like I was talking about. And it boils over, it poisons your thoughts and minds and hearts so much to the point that the only answer is to rid the earth of that person forever. And even if it isn't out of anger, there's still selfishness involved there. Murder is selfish. Whereas killing as I said, in contrast, is about protecting someone or doing what is right. And more often than not, the person that is killed has already chosen that path for themselves. Right? And, and I, the example I came up with is, is if we look at a soldier. Generally, a soldier is, is there to protect their country and protect people that are innocent. And the other army, depending on the perspective, right, is, of course, full of people who have chosen to stand against God and what God has created. Now, like I said, I realize that that is a massive blanket statement for something that is uh, beyond what can be just covered in 15 minutes. So here's what I would like to offer in exchange. I will be right down here after service, and I am willing to talk for as long as you need because God does do a lot of things in the Old Testament that we don't fully understand. Or at first glance are breaking his own commandments. But the truth is there was great reason where God commanded his people 
to exterminate another nation. And so if this is something you struggle with, if you, if you are questioning this in any way, shape, or form, I would love to talk to you. But in all honesty, when, God asked, or when Don asks me to do this uh, commandment, I had to come up with a statement that could at least perk your guys' interest and attention. So keep in mind that I would love to talk with you more about this. I would love to talk about what this actually looks like on, a, on an individual level and on a situational level, right? I don't want to suggest that, that America is unholy or that we've done things that are bad, but I also don't want to say that everything we've done is good either. And I think everyone in here can kind of relate to that. Um, and the truth is that life is not black and white, that's probably the biggest reason why this, that statement is hard to swallow. However, sin is black and white. There is sin or there isn't sin. So how is it we can avoid, in the long run, the sin of, of murder, right? And like I said earlier, you, you just don't murder. But under the new covenant that Jesus created, anger and frustration and hatred are among things that we need to avoid. They're under things that we have to avoid if we want to stay clear of this commandment altogether. So how is it that we can do that? Well, the first thing I would say is if you have a reaction similar to the one I described about somebody in your life, your first step needs to be giving that person over to God for you. For you, you need to release that relationship to Jesus. And you need to ask him to teach you how to forgive. And after you've asked that, after you've given that relationship over, you need to step back and honestly examine the relationship. Because there may be things there that you've misinterpreted. There may be times where that person has tried to make an amends, but you didn't see it because you were caught up in your own hatred. But whatever the case, the next thing that you have to do is you have to try to imitate who Jesus is. Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus doesn't say love God and love your neighbor unless you hate them, right? He says love others, love your neighbor. So then the simple question is, well, how is it that we can live like Jesus when there is such a large portion of hatred in our heart, something that is deep-seated. Well, practically speaking, you have to be more like Jesus, and the best way to do that is by spending time with him. Spend time with him in prayer. Actually, go home and set aside time each day to crack open your scripture. Set a cell phone reminder to open your Bibles once a day and read Jesus' life. It is impossible for us to pray to our God or to spend time with our Lord and have it not shift who we are fundamentally. I pray that you guys have learned a little bit more about the Sixth Commandment. I know it is not the most complicated one out there, but its repercussions do go a lot of different directions. So please come talk to me if you want to have a chat about some of those individual circumstances that may fall out of that area that I was speaking about. But what I would love to do now is just pray for you guys in this week and send you out the door with just one challenge. My challenge to you is 
if there is hatred and anger in your life, resolve it. Give it over to God and take steps towards peace. As far as it depends on you, right? Be at peace with all. Let me pray, uh, and then I'll have just a couple of announcements for you guys. Christ, you are good, and we are not good. Understanding that the sixth commandment is there because of the anger that is in our heart should draw attention that each and every one of us is going to struggle with some of the things that you've commanded us. Christ, I pray that you give us your grace, that you give us your love, and that you help us be more like you. Jesus, this week, please be with each one of us as we go out into a world that is full of hate. And help us show other people what the difference in our life is. Christ, may all the glory and honor go to your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless. Thank you.